what a very dashing t-shirt you're wearing today, my love. Dashing? I like that. It's That's going very in the dashing. description. <laughs> Thanks. Is that by any chance one of our t-shirts? Is it official merch, Kathy? Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm going to come closer because if you're not, if you're listening on the podcast uh, in your ears, well, you'd be listening with your ears anyway. That was a stupid thing to say. What did I mean by that? I meant if you're listening on a podcast thing and not watching on YouTube, then you you'll with, have your no idea. with your eyes. With your eyes, if you're listening with your <laughs> eyes. But I'll get close so you can see it to the camera. This is it's so gorgeous. I like a classic white t-shirt. I'm a bit of a fan. I do love a grey t-shirt. Those are pretty much my entire wardrobe is white or grey. But we released some gorgeous colours of these, didn't we? We've got there's a really nice green and a really so nice maroony colour as well. But um, this is the Roots Wings and other things teacup with the little uh, tea leaves, a little, uh, I can never remember the tea plant, C, Cientus. Clematis, um, not Clematis, um, God. Um, Cientus, there's people screaming at home going, it's this, it's this. <laughs> Dear God! <laughs> well, the tea leaf, anyway. They're camellias, Camellias, they? that's it. There we go. Um, yeah, so, there, uh, there, there, there. I love this. They are jolly nice. It's I like so those. soft. They, they are going to be Christmas prezzies all the way through. <laughs> it's going to be, people will be fed up with us. Everybody knows, everybody knows us knows they're either going to get a, a, a pot of jam from you or, a, or some, some glut produce or a bloody t-shirt from me. <laughs> yeah, better than monogram towels, I suppose. Isn't it? Ooh, Ooh. But thanks, yes, a lovely t-shirt. I like it, I like it. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. I'm energised and supercharged. I've had a couple of days where I've felt a bit, I don't know, not lost, but just a bit, you know, I've not really mm. had any sense of direction. There's a load of stuff going on in my head at the minute, trying to sort some sort of new directions out. Um, now that we come out of lockdown, it sort of feels a bit different, but I think everybody's still a bit uncertain, aren't they? You know, are we going to come out and stay out? Or are we going to come out and come back in again? going to be very interesting not least because we're speaking at the height of summer and this yeah. will be going out in towards the end of the summer so we'll <laughs> they might be listening to are. this and we might have just gone back in again <laughs> we'd just all be in bunkers by the time this goes out <laughs> but bunkers and looking dashing with lovely cozy sexy silky soft t-shirts steady <laughs> But here we are, episode eight. This is the end of the series. Series finale. Oh, I sort of feel there should be an awful lot of tears, some cake, balloons, sort of mm -hmm. smorgasbord of emotion. Yeah, I agree. Well, if we were a TV series, something really epic would have to happen. We'd have to have a massive cliffhanger. Yeah. We'd have to have like a special, like <laughs> Bill Brian Connolly or somebody. What's our equivalent of a cliffhanger, I wonder? Like... Will the brassicas be eaten by cabbage whites? Tune in for series four. Mm, yeah, is that no. really? I think your definition of cliffhanger is very different to mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big deal in my world. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. Well, okay, fair point. Yeah, <laughs> we, be, oh, something more along the lines of the opening scenes of Casualty, involving a plate, a pane of glass, and a greenhouse, and a precariously balanced ladder, or something. Definitely. <laughs> um, so what I have we got on... No, no, Sorry. wait, wait. Because I wait, sort wait. of feel that that's something we should lead on. I think we should do a TV series of Root Swings and other things. Maybe series four is a telly... Is a, you know, a, a video series, a telly series of Root Swings and other things. 
commissioning editors, we are ready for your call. We are ready. <laughs> We've been ready so since 2004. <laughs> oh dear. Are you going to tell me what's on the show or are we just going to keep coming up with TV treatments? Um, well, I've got a theme tune already, so I think probably we should um, move on as quickly as possible. <laughs> I think we should because I'm worried about asking you about that because I fear you might sing it or something. There will be Or singing. whip out a ukulele from under the desk. <laughs> oh, I'd love to be able to play the ukulele. I can play the kazoo. Good to know. Well, I can badly play the ukulele. So between us, <gasps> kazoo, ukulele, theme tune, series four, here we come. Oh my gosh. We're, it's like <laughs> Kathy and Jez, the ukazoo. The ku- we'll work on that. Kuzukuli. Kuzukuli. Ukazuli. Ukazuli. Anyway. As we steer this juggernaut of nonsense uh, towards some sort of semblance of law and order. Um, (laughs) This week we have, I think, a really interesting special celebrity guest interview because isn't it the first double guest interview? It is. Not only is it the first double interview, it's also the first in-person interview that we've done. The only in-person interview we've managed to do. (laughs) See you lockdown. So I'm very excited about that. And uh, you also get to hear me, because I was doing the interview this time, uh, gushing inappropriately. Mm -hmm. I had to sit on my hands a bit. (laughs) Why? Are they quite like, uh, did you want to touch them? That's not at all what I I don't understand what you mean. Though now you mention it. No. I meant I was trying not to be too effusive and kind of how fabulous they were, but we'll come to that later. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'm very much looking forward to uh, our first uh, special, special guest interview because it's live and Mm. double um, and somebody that we both quite like. Uh, So that's that. I've got a very interesting book of the week, which I think is going to be possibly the most useful book of the week in the series. Possibly. Mm. Which I know is a bit arrogant. But if there's one thing I am, we'll see. it's a bit arrogant. <laughs> Tiny bit. I was going to talk to you about that, but I thought we'd save it. I think there's the a very fine finished. line between arrogance and self-assurance. And I think I ride it comfortably like an old saddle. Um, there, <laughs> there is a very special veg of the episode, which I forgot this was the last episode because I'm so into this. I'm, I could do this all the time. So I'm a little bit sad and contemplative. But I have to say I have picked a corker this week of Veg of the Episode considering it's be the our, last one. This is going to be our dramatic series finale, oh. Vegetable of the Episode, is oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Is, are you going to say the vegetable and then I'm going to go dun, dun, dun. And it sounds be like that is going to happen. big pause, yeah. yeah. No, no, I don't think it'll be a big pause. You'll be all over it. You'll you'll love oh, okay. it and have tons to do with it. I just think it's oh, brilliant. I, it's unusual. It's not really grown very much. Uh, I think it's difficult, um, but it's also a pretty good king vegetable. So, what a tease! We'll get down to that. Um, and uh, then I've also got. I want to chat to you a little bit about the garden as well. Mm, me too. Uh, I think. I may have got a bit carried away. No. I know. That would, that would be a first. <laughs> <laughs> and not only have I might got a bit carried away, I might have done too many things at once. Now, 
<laughs> That's not exactly a characteristic that I'm known for. Um, not at all. So earlier on in the year, I thought this year I'm going to take lots of cuttings so yeah. that I can grow my own plants. And I normally mm-hmm. do a couple. And normally, I have to say, do it too late. I think, oh, that needs, that's a gap that needs filling. I should mm. do a cutting. And then, of course, by the time it's grown, it's the end of the season. And, you know, it's here till next year. So earlier on this year, cutting central um, and also seed sowing central. Have you ever sown cardoons? Uh, from seed? Yeah. Are you mad? My God, Cathy. Like, so you break open that dried cardoon head and there's about 46 million seeds in there that are really difficult to kind of flake out. So I found a way through trial and error of of cutting it open, uh, cutting it a bit like an onion, so you cut the very base off where the stem is, and then shaking it aggressively and hitting the side of a box over a really useful box. So all the fluffy bits go everywhere. (laughs) There's always like little dandelion things that go everywhere. Yeah. And then you get the little seeds. Okay. So I sowed all of these seeds thinking these cardoon heads have been dried for quite a long time. They'd actually been in the greenhouse and your voice was in the back of my head going, you're an idiot, when will you ever learn? Yeah. So I thought I'll sow loads of them. So I sowed the equivalent of three cardoon heads, which is about nine billion cardoon seeds like they took up three shelves in the greenhouse it's like five hectares of cardoon exactly that and planted. i had a growth success rate of 99 percent. <laughs> so Oops. i had the equivalent of something like i think it's 20 40 60 80 about 140 cardoon plants that i'd potted on because I got the rest, I thought, oh, this is ridiculous. I don't need those. I wasn't counting them. I was just like, oh, this is nice. Pop, 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 pop. Looked up and thought, oh gosh, that's an entire an entire length of my greenhouse, the whole shelf. Mm-hmm. With, and I thought, oh, I wonder what uh. I'll do with those. But anyway, I was designing a new border, and I thought, well, at the back where the bird feeders are, I thought I'd bring How- the bird feeders forwards. <laughs> How big is the border? <laughs> well, it's now quite big. Um, <laughs> they put a kind of, you know, four-foot border behind them between the Lalandi hedge and the start of where the bird feeders are. Dig that all up, put the cardoons there. It'll be a lovely background, something they can mm-hmm. nip in and out of. They'll like the cardoon heads. Beautiful, lovely. And, of course, they're there all year round, right? They look very dramatic. Mm. <sighs> well, then, of course, the cardoons started growing, and I remembered how absolutely huge they get, and year on year they get bigger, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, probably at some point they stopped growing, but and then I thought, what the hell am I going to do with 140 cardoon plants? Mm-hmm. So I got rid of a third, <laughs> which I thought was quite aggressive. Yeah, and then of course, I mean, really, you only need one. <laughs> really, oh. you don't need any, but we'll come to that in a minute. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, there, so I've already got four in the herb garden, and they are huge. They dominate, mm-hmm. you know, a big part of the herb garden. So. I got a bit carried away with seeds. That happened elsewhere. Of course, last episode or the episode before, I told you about my sweet pea mix-up where I thought it was oh, yes. per plant, but it was per set of four plants. Um, and I can understand... My mum used to call me a lazy looker. I can understand now why. Um, uh, sweet peas, yes, buy those. Are you sure? Oh, did I ever tell you about the sardine story? So, Dear uh, the, Lord. At the beginning of <laughs> lockdown... There's so much I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> beginning of lockdown my best friend and her husband and i were supposed to be going to bologna for a nice weekend away uh, eating and enjoying food and stuff 
Obviously, all of the flights were cancelled, so we decided we still wanted to get together. And there was, at the very beginning of the coronavirus, there was a sort of... When we came out of that original first ever lockdown, there was like a little lift for like a few weeks, June, July-ish or June-ish mm. period. So we got together. I stayed at hers um, because she lives very near uh, uh, an Italian delicatessen. There's this little Italian man that goes off to Italy every month or so, brings back a load of produce, sells it in his shop. It's absolutely stunning. So we bought all authentic Italian food. And for the weekend at hers, made every single meal true to an Italian style, as if we were in Bologna. I was in nice. charge of fish. I said, let's get some sardines. I have real, and we can have uh, uh, barbecued sardines with uh, like a salsa verde. I researched Mm-mm. it. Lovely. So I managed to find frozen sardines from Portugal because there weren't any of the Italian ones. But I figured they'd probably swim in the same space. So it'd be fine. So they were sort of, you know, at least they'd been to Italy at some point. <laughs> so I imagined in my head sardines to be sort of this big. And if you're uh, not watching, I'm... What's that, about a foot and a half, right? Because uh, in my head, I thought, I'm sure when I went on holiday, they were quite a big fish. Right? But I know now, I know now. <laughs> so they were eight pounds. And I thought, gosh, that's quite expensive. Um, but it is, you know, we're not going on holiday. We're saving quite a lot of money. We'll have two each. So I ordered six sardines, eight pound each. Um, anyway. A, a week later, the day before I go down, my best friend rings me quite angry and says, what the hell have you done? I'm toning down the language for the podcast. What mm-hmm. the hell have you done? Um, the delivery man has just handed me a massive polystyrene freezer box. And inside it are six bags of sardines. <laughs> and in each bag are 16 sardines. <laughs> I was like... Oh, no, that's much more cost effective. So it's £8 for a bag of 16 sardines. Oh, that's mu- that makes more sense. Yes, but now we've got like 100 or something. <laughs> so what the hell are we going to do with these sardines? <laughs> so I'm not very good And it's, card- it's the same with the cardoons. Yes. Exactly. I, incidentally, you're not alone. I've done the same when I thought I was ordering a little jar of cornichons and ended up with like five kilos of gherkins. <laughs> I do it every time I order shopping online. I click one piece of ginger, yes, please. And then a big bag arrives because it's one kilo mm-hmm. of ginger. And I think, oh, mm-hmm. God, I've done it again. Easily <clears> done. Anyway, so loads it's of... It's the same in gardening. <laughs> exactly. Loads of cardoons, loads of sardines, loads of cuttings. They're everywhere. I basically got a specialist nursery unintentionally. There are, mm-hmm. I mean, willow. I've got a willow farm over there. Lord knew that willow grows so flipping easy. You don't have to do anything. You just chuck it in. Um, How did you not know that? That's the whole point of Willow. <laughs> well, I just, I think I probably had not good successes before. You know, rewind to one of our YouTube series where you come and look at my horrific vegetable batch. So I think I just had low self-confidence. So I thought, well, I'll do five times as much yep. and at least I'll get yep. something. Turns out I've suddenly got very good at it and still <laughs> decided to do quantity. So <clears throat> I've got too much, Cathy. It's, do you want a card in? I love. I really don't. <laughs> Let's start there, what shall is we? This... Anti cardoon. Oh well, what's the point? <laughs> I mean, They're if beautiful. you're going to grow, so I'm sure everyone knows cardoons very well, but they are very large, very inedible versions of an artichoke, and they're very architectural, yada yada yada. But <laughs> why would you not just grow an artichoke, which you can eat? And now I would be interested in you having 140 artichokes. <laughs> so, 
But 140 cardoons, there is nothing you can do with. I was going to say a nice thing to do when you've got lots of plants is to give them as gifts. You know, when you go for dinner, which is a thing we can do at the moment, go to people's houses for dinner, then it's so regular to take a bottle of wine or some flowers or something. And actually, it's lovely to take either some produce of your glut or a little pot plant that they can grow on and... Other people might enjoy receiving a cardoon. For reference, I would not. But, you know, some people might. An artichoke would be much more useful, I would say. But But I can see why you do it. An artichoke doesn't have the same... Oh, no, it does have the... It does flower, doesn't it? It has the same purple flowery thing at Mm. the top. Mm. But I I heard that a cardoon, it's the leaves that you can eat. Can you? And they also have medicinal properties. That's why they're in the herb garden. I mean, I don't, I, but it's the leaf that you, you use, the, the stem of the leaf. Oh, OK. Well, now I'm more interested. I didn't know that. but um, Well, then that's... maybe I should send you one because they I... don't self-seed, I don't believe. So okay. you can grow it, use the leaf, say this is a load of rubbish and then pull it up and burn it in some sort of defiant okay. I hate cardoons. Ritual. I'll try that. Um, I'll try that. Um, I also think the thing about growing too many seeds and cuttings as well is that you're like me, that you are irresistibly drawn to free edible yeah. stuff yeah. or free stuff. Yeah. And then you also, like me, have an inability to throw stuff away. Yes. <laughs> so you're <laughs> left with, and you're also slightly anxious about whether you're any good at it as well. Yeah. So... It's a perfect storm because you sow too much or you make too many cuttings, partly because you don't think they'll work, but also because it's free plants. Why wouldn't you? And then when it's all successful, it's too devastating to throw. It's something about the potential. I can't throw the potential away. I'm the same with lettuce seeds. I grow too many lettuces and then I can't, even when you're supposed to thin them out. Yeah, oh, yeah. So there's gaps between them. No. I have to replant. It's like a compulsion. I have to replant. Well, it's like culling the your young, isn't versions. it? Yes. That, that's why I can't do Impossible. it. You've grown this thing on and I think, well, I can't, I'm committed now. I can't, I've adopted yep. all of these baby cardoons. I can't just throw them out. Like, I can't, it's I just can't do it. But it's I also, agree. it's a totally impractical, terrible way of gardening. Like, you've got to toughen up if you want, if you're going to grow stuff and garden because you, you know, you really have to do that. You cull the, the ones that aren't so good. Oh my gosh. So yesterday... Oh so we've got in the wood store I've got a blackbird nesting boring boring mm-hmm. but I've also got swallows and lovely oh my gosh yesterday so I knew they were there because I went in and I look up every now and again see if I see the heads poking out and they do this weird thing don't they on a raft of them the most precarious kind of weird mud nests on the yes. most weird oblique angles Mm-hmm. So I put my head up and there were these three little faces peering down. I said, oh, hey, Aww. guys, that's really cute. Be careful you don't fall out. Anyway, later on that day, I come back in. And as I walk around the corner to go into the wood store, they're flying in the wood store, learning to fly. The mummies fly. It was like something from Harry Potter. They're all just kind of like flying around. I came in, disturbed them. So mummy's like, tweet, 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 flew out. And one... Two, three followed her, and one sort of was like, what? What are we? Oh, no. Oh, there's a man with a beard. And so it landed on uh, a bit of wood that's in the wood store, funnily enough. Uh, and so I went, went outside to leave it, you know, let it go do its thing. And they were sort of flying around in the air outside, and they all congregated on the roof of the house. And they did this amazing thing where they were sort of learning to, to land. So there's this sort of slightly overly flappy, bothered 
a bit above the aerial and then they would sort of <laughs> land onto the aerial and go, oh, look, look, I did it, I did it, Mum. Kathy, it was so magical seeing them fledge. So magical. You are, you are like textbook side of a Rosie there. I mean, <laughs> how beautiful does that sound? And you'll be pleased to know, I believe Monty Don had a similar issue in his potting shed. Oh, did he? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, look at so, that. So, great, you know, great gardeners. Dress like alike. Don, bird like Don. That's mm-hmm. the famous it's saying. It's the braces. It's the braces that do it, <laughs> it I <is>. think. <laughs> Though you are braceless today, which is rare. That's because I've got shorts on today, because it's okay. lovely outside. So um, shorts and braces isn't really, I don't think, ever been a done thing. So <laughs> I don't do that. Oh, lederhosen. <gasps> oh, Kathy. Oh, That's dear. a look I, I did, haven't explored. I did not suggest lederhosen. I know what you've done. <laughs> Listeners, help. <laughs> Series four, and later, like embroidered with the Roots, Wings and Other Things logo, lederhosen. Dress I like am Jez not package. doing a podcast with you if you're wearing <laughs> lederhosen. <laughs> You'll want me in bunches next. It's just never going to happen. Now, Cathy, we've got to the end of the quickly. series. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I'm not noticing you're wearing a peg, but I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping that you have a peg list. Uh, I don't have a peg. Oh my word, eight weeks. How long does it take to change? I'm I just really don't think sorry. you're being very accommodating. I think you're being resisting. I do have a peg list, though, because you know how I love a list. Mm, I think it's just a list. I mean, it's only a peg list if it's clipped with a peg, isn't it? You can't just it call a list a be... peg list. If I draw a peg at the top of the list, would that help? I mean, That's I a... think it's all together or not at all, isn't it? And it, it sounds a bit not at all to me. Well, we're going to have to do a series four now, aren't we? Because some, yes. I'm going to have to get a peg. Somebody send me a peg. I mean, you could take your own spin on it, I suppose. You could maybe... Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. For the next special episode, I'm going to send you one of the Roots, Wings and Other Things merchandise shirts, which has got the peg on it. There is a Jez's Peg t-shirt that you can buy with an old... Excuse me. With an old dolly peg on it. Yes. So you can have that. You could do... That would be a good one. A hairband. What do you call that thing? What do you call the hairband thing that you wear? A hairband? Mm Mm-hmm. Bandana? You could do a bandana list or a hairband list. Tuck it in that. Could do a hair. Yes, that would be good. Pop mm. it in behind. Mm. I haven't Forget got one on today, but yeah, I could. Yeah, that's a good idea. Well, on my list mostly is netting stuff at the moment. Netting. Because yeah, the brassicas have gone in, and that means that every cabbage white butterfly in the whole of West Oxfordshire, and in fact some from Gloucestershire, have crossed the border and are zooming around. I mean, it's like there's wind disruption from the number of cabbage whites that are floating around above my veg patch at the moment. So, and, so netting, and I cannot stress enough how strict you need to be with the netting because so you net the brassicas as I'm sure everyone knows otherwise the cabbage white butterflies which are those pretty white little bastards come (laughs) and lay their eggs and just one visit from one beautiful cabbage white butterfly can destroy a whole crop and they lay fortunately bright yellow see uh uh baby um eggs oh god what's the word thank you eggs 
And so they're quite visible, but you stand no chance once they're in of squishing them all, even though you yeah, can see everywhere. them. Yeah, they're everywhere. They're really prolific, aren't they? They are really <clears> prolific. <throat> and then you get these baby caterpillars, and before long, the caterpillars are huge and the same colour as your brassicas because yeah. they've just eaten the buggers. Uh, so they're very camouflaged. So you net, and you need to net with a nice small uh, net, small square net without big holes in it so that the cabbage whites can't get through. But you also need to make sure that the bottoms are really yeah. well uh, pegged in with tent pegs or I saw somebody do that do it with a piece of wood straight over yes. the base the so because a cabbage white in fury will like almost shred its wings to try and get through things it's amazing isn't it I, I'm it, always surprised <clears throat> when there's just a tiny little gap and you think well how are they they don't look that when they're flying, they don't look like the sort of thing that would wander around and be agile to sort of crawl in mm. through. You'd think they'd sort of flap, oh, I can't get in and go somewhere else. But it is amazing, no. isn't it? How yeah. almost defiant they are to to get yeah. in and lay their little legs on there. Yeah, It's a desperation. So netting is what I'm doing. And I have to say, I check it every day because I really want sprouts for Christmas and I really want the purple sprouting to survive as well and I really love kale so yes. I'm going to be very uh, militant about it I'm there so with the last two things actually that's um, my jobs can what you, about you can you transplant can you move veg so if if you were if you had I don't know whatever that, that kale purple sprouting broccoli and some carrots in a in a raised veg bed and for whatever reason you want to move the bed or you want to put them somewhere else <clears throat> can you dig them up mid-grow if you were to dig you know enough soil around them put them in a pot and then put them somewhere else mm. or do they not I think move? with something like a lettuce you might get away with it with root veg that definitely won't work because you've just pulled it up basically and that's the bit you're so you can't re-sow that re-plant but what if you're that. what if you're digging around it so you're not going to pull the whole thing you're going you're going to dig you know around and under so you're going to take a massive bowl of soil a root you know uh, without exposing I, the thing if you were going to do that i would start with the pot already particularly with brassicas which really don't like root disturbance really okay uh but lettuces might do it why what have you got planned well <laughs> the move <clears throat> i'm thinking mm -hmm. if so i'm moving house mm. and i'm midway through some yummy stuff and I don't think I'll get the purple sprouting broccoli before I move. So I'd quite like to take the purple sprouting broccoli with me. Mm, I would sew it into a pot well, if that's the case. it's too late now because it's in a veg patch. But, but, okay. But, and I'm not taking the whole raised bed with me. So it's maybe an option. I will be... <laughs> maybe I will be... <laughs> you don't sound serious or committed, Jess. Um mm. Uh, maybe I will be the the test. I will see Try it. how yeah. much around it I can take, in the hope that it continues to grow. Yeah, worth a try. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, talking of cuttings, because mm -hmm. I've taken so many cuttings and because I've sown so many bloody seeds, <laughs> the gardens. Um, and of course, we've had this perfect storm of warm weather, lots of rain, not enough rain cool yeah. weather with this amazing everything 
it has gone mental. So, Are you living in a jungle? It's a little bit like a jungle, yeah. <laughs> I went to walk through the jewel garden the other day uh, to sort of tidy it up a little bit, you know, do a bit of weeding and realise, okay, I'm going to be an hour just cutting my way through the path because so, I can't see the path before I even get to yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, I've left a hurry in the greenhouse because it's I mean we're way we're, we've got a, several more tools to go through before we even get near a hurry right including okay. like machete shears and <laughs> so strimmer I've been, <laughs> I've been cutting an awful lot of the boards and the, the beds back just to tidy them up a bit because of course <clears throat> you know it's just like roses. When a flower dies, you cut it back to the nearest growth point, and almost every flower will grow, you know, a second flush or will grow back or continue to grow. Even if you just get sort of nice leafy, you know, filler. Things like peonies, there are exceptions, of course. Once peonies are flowered, that's it, you're done. Um, but field scabious, just gorgeous, cut, and it just keeps mm. coming, you know, cut, come, cut, come. That's great. Uh, and also little things like catmint. You know, Napita, you can hack some of that back and that you get a second flush of that. So what I've been doing is cutting it back, but I tend to cut half of the amount <clears throat> of the growth back. Um, so I just pick sort of chunks of it just to thin it out a little bit. Partly because then there are still some um, flowers for the bees and other pollinators. And by the time that new growth has come through the second flush, you can go and then cut the original stuff back. And so rather than cutting it all back, because oxide daisies look gorgeous, they don't mm. last overly long. And then, you know, a bit of wind or a bit of extra growth and they all just fall on the floor and then you kind of stake them up a little bit and then the, the flowers die back. And if you cut them all back in one go, <clears throat> you'll get a second flush. But of course it looks kind of a bit boring and, mm. you know, nothing. Mm. So I tend to just cut about 50%. So you still get a bit of show. The pollinators get some... Um, uh, food and then you sort of get a continual sort of succession I suppose of, of flowers because it can look a little bit bare can't it when you cut everything back it's all of a sudden it feels like you're back to spring again and there's no color there's no interest it's just lots of yeah kind of a wash yeah. of green I think you're very right that's a, that's a piece of advice I've given before but I feel like having seen the result of that advice we need to be very clear <laughs> about what you do so I told a friend who he will remain nameless. <laughs> that, uh, his shame is great enough without being named. Uh, who was saying the same to me. If I cut, can I cut something back and will it reflower? And I was saying, well, yes, but also just give it a go. Try cutting half of it back and, yeah. see, and see what happens. <clears throat> and the important caveat with that is, when I say half, I mean take the whole plant and go into it and take half of it out equally, or like thin it out. Yes, so Don't. you're not going to cut back 100% of the plant, you're going to cut yes. half of the stems back. Yes, <clears throat> but not half of the stems on one half of the plant. <laughs> <laughs> so my friend, who will remain nameless, you know who you are. That's a border. <laughs> Exactly, has this border that's like half of the plants were just like shaved off and the other half were still growing flowers. And it worked. And, you know, I mean, he's a scientist, so I suppose I should have expected it that Very when literal. I said do an experiment, he was like, okay, right, so let's have a control, yeah. leave these growing, chop the other half off. 
And we can see them side by side. And it was a very good experiment because it worked. But yeah. still, it looked ridiculous. Yeah, so not very aesthetic. thin out 50% rather than cut back half yes, of the Yes, that's a very good... And I tend to look at, like, I imagine a clock face. So if you imagine looking over the top of the plant, imagine mm. a, clock, a clock face. And I take maybe, you know, a handful... Uh, at 12 o'clock cut that back halfway down and I might move to three o'clock cut that back halfway down like go right in the middle where the uh, the clock hands would be cut that to 50 percent so that you just thin it out a little nice. bit in bunches <clears throat> now you see that would have been a better way of describing what I meant <laughs> I love the fact that he's done <laughs> I can just imagine this lovely, beautiful, abundant board, and all of a sudden there were just random little sticks of, of flowers Tough. <laughs> Tough, yeah. so weird <laughs> Oh dear. Do not do that, dear listener. Do not do that. Or send us pictures if you do. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, we should. That's a great idea. Roots Wings Podcast. Roots Wings Podcast. Um, so, what book are you reading this week? Well, my book of the week this week is a selection of essays oh, by a chap who is a friend of mine, so full disclosure, called Mark Ridaway. And he's written this book for Borough Market, where he works called Edible Histories and it's out last year I think and it's lovely it's a history of different ingredients and lots of them are vegetables which is why I was really interested in it so uh, it says it's a gorgeous collection of essays that celebrates the surprising past of some of the best of the things we like most to eat but now take for granted from strawberries from to spaghetti tomatoes to tea discover how everyday ingredients such as these evolved over thousands of years and how they traveled across the world so for example and it's really interesting and i like it because you can just dip in read one of the essays and then come back to it and also you can walk away going well tomatoes were considered extremely inedible by the europeans when they first came over in the 1600s and things like that it's a really lovely book it's got tomatoes bananas cinnamon that's a really interesting one strawberries tea see previous conversation but then more strange things like pasta and turkey and things you wouldn't expect um it's a it's a lovely read and a really good one to dip in so it's called uh, edible histories epic tales of everyday ingredients by mark ridaway and it's published by hodder books so where is a strawberry from is it not native to our country I sort of think you're going to tell me Asia. Please hold, caller. That might be one of the essays I haven't read yet. Because <clears throat> they're so quintessentially British, aren't they? That I just assumed they, really they were a plant that, you know, we've all. It was had. ignored by the Romans, given the Latin name Frega, which is the what they call the um, wild strawberries. Yep. So I suppose that makes sense. Mentioned. Ovid. And of course, in many of the um, European countries, so in Spanish and, and French, phrase uh, means strawberry, F R A I S E. Yes, that's true. Planted in 1368 by King Charles V of France. So they've been around pretty much all over Europe since forever. Right. By the looks of it. I shall read the chapter and get back to you. Okay, thanks. Mm. <clears throat> that sounds yeah. interesting. What's, it's a very different it's, one. 
Yes, well, I thought for the end of the series, I was going to go with the recipe book, but um, there's another recipe book I want to mention a bit later, which uh, which we'll come to that relates to our guest interviews. So Ooh, I thought okay. I'd give something a bit different. Sneaky. Book of the week Sneaky. triple, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. What's your book of the week? <laughs> and everybody. Um, well, so you know I bigged it up as possibly the most important or useful, sorry, book of the series. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it is... It's Beth Chateau, who is, of course, the goddess of gardening. And I'm so I was due to meet Beth the year she died, which, of course, was the year that the pandemic happened. Mm. So I didn't get to see her. It is Drought Resistant Planting by Beth Chateau, right? So now this the subtitle is Lessons from Beth Chateau's Gravel Garden. And what it shows you is, I mean, look, check out those cars. That was that was quite a while back. <laughs> wow, it's a picture of the car park. Yeah, uh, but uh, 1991. I mean, crikey, 1991. I would have thought of uh, that was the 80s. But but anyway, how uncool we were still in 1991. It was only two years after. Anyway, um, so they she created this gravel garden. She made it a drought garden. It wasn't a um you know a dry garden. They just wanted to do it. And they found It was a car park to begin with, was it? Now I see why she started her book with a picture of a car park. Yes. Been... <laughs> sort of begins to make Strange sense. Strange choice. Otherwise. <laughs> um and so they were specific about some of the things that they wanted to put in there, you know, drought resistant plants. And then of course there were lots of surprises and it takes you through, you know, things that just popped up. But the reason is not to encourage people necessarily to plant a gravel garden or necessarily to plant a, um, you know, for drought. I'm not, you know, I'm not a doomsayer. I'm not saying there's some great environmental incident about to happen, although I think we both know there might be. Um, it's Spoiler. Be- <laughs> it's because I hear a lot of people who aren't professional gardens or horticulturalists who will say things like, Oh my gosh, it takes ages to water the pots. Oh, gardening is just so much of a chore in the summer. Um, you know, if we have a hosepipe ban or the watering thing can be difficult. And I always appease that. Um, you know, I try to, sorry, placate that and say, well, you know, but sometimes in our busy world that we live in, our busy lives, if you think about watering as a way to switch off at night, grab yourself a glass mm-hmm. of wine or a mug of tea or That's whatever. Exactly what I was going to say. Gin and tonic, gin and tonic, tonic yes. <laughs> sunshine. Uh, and just go and spend an hour in the evening just switching off. Do it with your other half or your better half or chat to a friend on the phone if you want to do it that way and just water the plants while you're relaxing and doing something else. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I thought it would be useful because... If you plant with drought in mind, most of these plants, because if you're in well-drained pots or well-drained soils, if you're not planting in clay, they'll do fine with loads of water if it rains or we get a particularly rainy season because they'll drain away. Mm. But they tolerate drought really, really well. So if you want a less demanding garden or you're thinking about, I don't know, a new border or something, perhaps a drought-tolerant border or garden might be something you want to move towards to because... It's not arid, and I didn't know, like, Verbena boliaris, boliarensis, sorry, mm-hmm. um, is drought tolerant. I had no idea. I did not know that. I thought it would have been, like, a big water-sucky thing. Um, euphorbia, of course. Here, this is another one. <clears throat> Check this out. I had no idea about this either. Um, so the fritillia, uh, that's a drought-resistant plant. And really? also hellebores. Who knew? Right? 
<clears throat> so there are loads of really, really lovely things that you can end up with. Napita is a drought resistant plant. I know that. It doesn't, I mean, and of course drought resistant as in drought resistant, not drought proof. So it's not like you, you should <laughs> never water it. It's just that. Um, and I always, th things like Napita, of course, are really hardy, aren't they? They bounce back mm. real quick. You know, if you, it'll tell you because the leaves start to yellow and you think, oh, it probably needs some water now. Uh, and then you flood it and it's all right again. So that's my, that's my that's little contribution for the end of the series. Aren't we informative? So we'll come away from this week's book of the weeks from knowing that Verbena are... Uh, drought resistant yep. and as i have just read that the strawberry market is worth in the uk is worth seven no surely this must be the world 752 million pounds that won't be the world oh, i reckon no, it's the that's uk fruit hang on oh okay. in 2017 the entire marketplace tis britain for fruit was 752 million of which Strawberries accounted for 283 million. I would like to know how much of that was wasted. I suspect there's a lot of waste in, in fruit market, right? I wonder. I couldn't well, throw all that out. Anyway, no. book of the week, book of the series, series done, almost. You know what's now, don't you? Uh oh. Now, <laughs> no, not EastEnders. It's oh, okay. Veg of the Week. <laughs> so, this is so weird that I picked this ahead. I picked it this morning while I was having my cup of tea, uh, preparing for this, and I thought, oh, a corker. Then when you said it's the last in the series, I thought, gosh, I completely forgot about that. I think this has got a really princely, king, sort of monarchy-type look to it. It's like the, the queen of the vegetables, or the king of the vegetables, <clears throat> because it looks sort of crown-esque. And you've already bloody mentioned it. It's the artichoke. I thought Hooray! this week I would do the artichoke because I don't know that many people that grow artichokes. And it might be because, like the cardoon, they get, can get big. But yeah. interesting, you can cut the leaves off. You don't have to. Don't have to be wild. You know, you can mm -hmm. kind of trim it a bit. I've heard, and this might be wrong. You can tell me. I've heard that they can be a bit difficult to grow. Um, so maybe that's why people don't grow them because that rumor mm -hmm. may or may not be true. But either way, that might put people off. Um, but also, I was thinking, what do you do with artichoke? And I thought, well. It's kind of like the grilled artichoke thing. And then there was that some kind of weird thing where you pull a leaf off and dip it or something, but you can't eat it or whatever it was. So I thought this is going to be a corker. Vegetable of the week of the episode is the artichoke. Kathy, inform us, please. <laughs> that is a great series finale vegetable, I have to say, mm. because they are statuesque and they mm. are regal and they can be a little bit tricksy to grow. The plant... I, mean, I wouldn't recommend trying to grow them from seed. It is possible, oh. as you've demonstrated, but it's a faff. But you can buy crowns of them, like you'd buy... A, that's literally what they're called, like a bunch of roots, basically. Like you'd buy a crown of... Uh, what else? Rhubarb. Okay. And it arrives, and it's a bat in the winter, and it's a bag of dead, by the looks of it, right. in some soil. And you plant it, and that's where you get... You can also buy them just as plants oh. as well. But it's expensive because the plants don't last forever and ever. In my experience, they have maybe 
three to five years max oh. in them, and then they're done for, and you need to refresh them. Oh, I had no idea. Mm. So, oh, that's my experience of them anyway, um, and I believe it's not uncommon. But what's great about them is that if you don't have a growing space, but you do have a border, then they'll be beautiful in the border, in the garden, um, but also edible. And the more you pick, the more you get, but no. only only within a limit. I mean, it's not like Mange 2, yeah, where you sure. just keep picking and they just keep coming. But if you pick them, it will encourage the smaller ones to grow, or sort of to grow to edible sure. size. There are lots of recipes. There are lots of artichoke recipes. But I think if you've grown them yourself, there's only one thing to do with them, oh. which is to boil them. And if they're very fresh, they can take quite a long time. Boil them, not steam them. No, boil them. Right. If you steam them, you'll be there for days. Oh, right. So boil them in a big pan of salted water. Well, like Probably whole no... or do you cut them up like yeah, a potato? Yeah, whole. No, leave them oh. whole. Boil them. If they're old, it might take, or if they've been cut for a long time, it might take 15 minutes. If they're right. freshly cut and really tight and pert, then could be 40 minutes. You'll know when they're done wow. by if you pull one of the green leaves um if it comes away fairly easily then it's ready drain them then put them on a plate with nothing but a big wad of butter right and then the way you eat them is to this is what you were mentioning earlier pull the green leaves off starting from the base and working round yeah and then at the bottom of each leaf will be a tiny little bit of artichoke flesh, which I dip in the butter and then pull off. Such a lovely way of eating because it's really picky and really slow and it takes ages. So you do that all the way around until you've got no leaves left. <laughs> it takes about half an hour, but it's really delicious. <laughs> and then take a sharp knife and you cut around the top, which will have the... Um, sort of feathery fronds yes. in the top that are going to be the purple flower when it breaks, right. but obviously it hasn't yet. So you cut those bits off because they're not very nice to eat and you will be left with... I mean, whoever first ate an artichoke must have been really hungry because it yeah. must have taken ages to work this out. You'll be left with the artichoke heart, which is like a cup shape, well, like a stubby wine glass right. shape. And that you then slice and dunk in the butter and eat as well and you'll only get a couple of mouthfuls out of it but it will be the most beautiful couple of mouthfuls oh, you've ever tasted faff, isn't it? but it's it's the sort of thing that you do on a friday evening with a glass of wine s- sitting in the sunshine mm. chatting with friends you take your time over it whatever main course is going to be is bubbling away and doing its own thing somewhere else Lovely. and it's such a decadent way of eating. But because they're artichokes and because they take quite a long time to grow um, and because you don't get that many of them, you want to really concentrate on them. If a recipe calls for artichoke hearts, 
because they're part of a salad or you're putting them on a pizza or you're going to puree them for something, for a uh, risotto, that's amazing. Um, buy them in jars because it will take right. you conveniently a field full. If only your cardoons had been artichokes. <laughs> I know, right? We would have enough... <laughs> To make probably a salad or something. Let's hope I've got artichoke fingers like I've got cardoon fingers. Let's hope. If you could try, that would be great. But they're such... I'm so pleased you picked that vegetable because they are so... Are they even a vegetable or a thistle? Mm, I wonder. Or a herb. A cardoon's a, heart, a herb. Mm. So what? So tell me about... Char, I'm more. That's okay. Um, you can't eat the leaves either, can you? You have to like... like squ- a bit like an edamame bean. You have to squidge out yeah. the flesh. You, got, you don't exactly. just bite into it and chew it. You have to sort of yeah, drag it Yeah, you have to use out. your top lip, top <clears throat> teeth to kind of pull the really flesh off the base of it. about that. I mean, it sounds lovely, but it's a lot of faff. I think I'd do it once and go, I'm glad I tried it, but never again. Um, what about the, uh, the char-grilled artichoke? Because they are just delicious. Can I do that at home as well? You can, but it's even more of a faff oh because rather than enjoying the pleasure of eating the uh, leaves as you pick them off, you have to cut them off before you cook the artichoke. You can't cook it with all the leaves on can't it. Can't you just peel the leaves off and then do the char grilling? Well, they don't really peel off when oh. it's not cooked. So you have to oh, dissect it. Oh, so you're it. not cooking it. For, you have to strip it before you cook it. Yeah. Oh, God. Exactly. Right, okay. And that is laborious. Right. And just means you have to turn it upside down so the stem is facing upwards. Yeah. Take a really sharp knife and kind of feel your way yeah, around yeah. it all. Big old faff. And then you just cut it in half and just put it on a griddle pan. Bit of oil on the griddle pan. But right. really, the stuff you buy that's griddled in jars is just as tasty and far less work. Oh, so wow. if you're going to grow them... Put them centre stage and spend half an hour eating them. <laughs> and you're saying that when you cook them to eat, that's before they flowered. So mm. if you're going to cook them all, then your beautiful artichokes you'll never actually see with those stunning purple little heads. Yeah, right. exactly. Gosh, it's a metaphor for life, isn't it? You can't have it all really your cake is. and eat it all the time. Though, which could arguably be a metaphor as well, it's best to leave a couple to go at the end of the season to go to seed because it gives the same with growing asparagus. It gives the plant chance to, you know, complete its process and do its thing and then be ready for next year. Wow. Well, I'm I'm love that we picked the stately artichoke as the last one. We've learnt more about it. And I suspect by the sounds of it, that's why a lot of people don't, grow it because it's not like spuds that you can just chuck in the ground you've got an abundance of them but i suppose Mm -hmm. if you're looking maybe maybe it's a treat maybe we should encourage people just get one artichoke plant a corner of a border where you want some gorgeous height and a bit of you know a filler yeah and it will look architecturally beautiful the sun on artichoke leaves i always think it's really nice because you get that slight shimmer and stuff and sometimes it's green sometimes a bit bluey purpley silvery whatever um and then you can if you want try an artichoke and if not leave yep. it because the bees and the birds will absolutely love it because the birds land and pick at it as well don't they they do and when they're prolific an artichoke my best ever artichoke year i had two artichoke plants and i had maybe 14 artichokes to eat oh wow oh, okay. is bad so you've got a dinner party yeah, in sure. one artichoke plant i reckon and yeah. it's quite a nice it's the ceremony in it isn't there 
there is ceremony in it. And talking of ceremony and unusual things and unusual names and spending time with people over amazing food, I think that brings us beautifully <laughs> to this week's uh, celebrity guest interview, which is, I think, unique. I think it's the most different interview we've had all series. And I know you really championed this. So tell us, Kathy, uh, who is it? So this week... Our special guest interview is with the brothers, Matthew and Ian Pennington, who run The Ethicurian, which is a restaurant just outside of Bristol in the Mendip Hills. And it is, I'm biased because it's my favourite restaurant in the world, but so full disclosure from the get go. But I think it's one of the most interesting field to fork experiences I've ever had. So it's in, the restaurant is in the greenhouse at the top of a walled Victorian garden. And the garden is on a slope looking out over the Mendip Hills, south facing. And of course, and it's maybe two acres, I would say. It's not a huge garden, possibly three, but it's so beautiful, pictures on Instagram. <laughs> and the Matthew and Ian who run it, run the restaurant, are completely at the mercy of what comes out of the garden. And so everything on the menu is from there, or it's foraged, Amazing. or very occasionally... They will go, say for one dish on the menu, they will go and get the food from uh, a guy who hunts wild duck or something <laughs> like that. But you're not going to get chicken breast from the supermarket here. Yeah. You know, it's a really different experience. And what I love about it is that the menu, the food is just the right side of odd. You know, you look at it and you go, what an what pineapple weed what <laughs> but it tastes so amazing that you're on board with it straight away it's not difficult food but it is very interesting food and they're just such lovely people you can feel that in the way in in the food that they serve there's so much joy about the garden and the produce and the creative process of on a Tuesday going what are we going to cook for this week well we've got some sweet peas or look there's meadow sweet over there or look that's and it's so organic literally and metaphorically and what I really wanted to talk to them about this time apart from as you will see slightly gushing about how beautiful it all is um, was how they survived lockdown because before lockdown they were a regular in inverted commas restaurant Post-lockdown, they've totally changed the way they approach things from how they employ people to the hours they open to the way you book tickets to the way the menu works. So it's much more of a theatrical experience mm. now. In fact, it's like buying a ticket for the theatre. Nice. And it was really interesting to talk to them about how they saw that change and how they've managed to survive and actually thrive through what has been a horrendous year for them. So it was a complete dream come true. And the weather was 
fabulous on the day I went to visit them. Should we take a look? I cannot wait. Let's listen now. <laughs> well, we're here. I mean, what a beautiful day to be in the glorious... Where would you say we are? Western Supermare? <laughs> yeah, mm. sandpits of Western Supermare. <laughs> <laughs> now the Mendip Vale. The Mendip Vale, that sounds yeah. more poetic. Far more romantic, isn't it? it? Yeah. yeah. It's just the most beautiful view and the sun is shining for those listening and the veg patch of the Ethicurian is coming to its peak. Uh, and looking totally beautiful. And I'm here with the very brilliant Ian Matthew. Thank you so much for um, taking the time today, especially after it's been your opening weekend. And you look remarkably well slept. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Throw some puppies into the mix as well. Yeah. And you've just got yeah, puppies as well. Concealer and uh, you know, loads of foundation looking good. And sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, sunglasses. Yeah. Tell me how the first weekend opening went after an epic year of lockdown. It has been, it's been amazing, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been magical, yeah. yeah. Um, just to see the whole team back to life, um, doing what they do. Um, and to have so many new passionate individuals come join us as well. Uh, yes. You know, we've managed to keep quite a few of the original team pre-lockdown, but a lot of them have decided to go and do different things. Um, so obviously that gave way for, for new staff joining us and everyone's just hit the ground running. Yeah. Um, yeah, really, it's been amazing. Really proud of them. Yeah. How did you pick the menu for your opening weekend? Basically guided by what's uh, what's on our doorstep. And yeah. we are actually just off the edge of a uh, hunger, hunger gap, really. So there's mostly been charred. And <laughs> yeah. Um, Whereas yeah. before lockdown, we might have used a community farm down the road to get extra vegetables. We are solely using what is what's growing in the garden. And uh, that's been. Uh, sort of change in ethos over the period of lockdown that's made you feel like you want to be self-sufficient for sure yeah um, i mean it's not as if what we we're doing before lockdown wasn't sustainable you know we're using an organic farm down the road for things like carrots and the main crop stuff yeah. Yeah, yeah um but just to be guided by what's what's here um processing the gluts in autumn to sort of tide us through till spring next year um yeah so what was on the menu at the weekend Oh, we had all sorts, didn't we? We um, started off with a miso broth in the archway. Um, our chef has been working on a nettle beer, which was second ferment with elderflower. Uh, so a little arrival. That was amazing. The, the miso yeah. is actually one thing we never really get to age for that long either, because you know six months we're trying to six months is a long time to have something sat in the cupboard in a restaurant. You know, you've got such a high turnover <laughs> of stuff. Uh, but lockdowns enabled us. We now we were eating two-year-old miso. Uh, nice. Just because it sat there for the last year, fermenting away, and it's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's benefited yeah. from that extra time, really. It's, yeah. it's way more delicious. Um, and then, what they had a arrival canapes and snacks in the bar, lots of excited sort of fermented and dehydrated stuff at that point. Yeah, um, Arctic char, fermented cabbage, uh, yeah. things like lion's mane. That's like the star of the show. Yeah, no, lion's mane mushroom cooked in. In a dehydrated yeast. Um, yeah, it looks really so good. Tell me more about this mushroom. It sounds delicious. Is it from here? It's not. Lion's mane is not. Yeah, it's from down the road. Yeah. Uh, we've got some mushrooms that we've uh, inoculated into the beds here, but lion's mane takes some expertise in growing. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, Have you seen them? No. They're amazing. White cloud, like a really fine fronds on them. They're like about brain sort of size, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Flavour's amazing, um, 
text is incredible. Such, yeah. such a good... Robin's turned up. Look, we've got another guest. <laughs> For those listening on audio, we're being visited by... Ruben! Yeah, Ruben name. Robin, yeah. Is this oh, definitely I mean, he Ruben can, Honestly, Robin? comes Hi, here every day. I think he's missed guests over the last year. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <my> sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about mushrooms. I love it. Um, and then what was pudding? Rhubarb. Pudding actually um, evolved over the, over the whole weekend, so it wasn't set. That was still a work in progress. All, always delicious, but started off... Um, We've been up on the other side of the, the, the Mendip Hill there um, and we went and got some sweet woodruff, which is quite a, it's a herb that's kind of got a slightly hay flavour to it, slightly bitter. Um, so yeah, that Not too dissimilar to meadow sweet, is it? Yeah. Slightly vanillary, yeah. delicious. Yeah. And you use the flower and the leaf, do you? Flowers yeah. and that. And that was infused into a cream. And and set into a sort of a tart by Sunday, did it? Yeah, it started off <laughs> as a meal free with um, pickled rhubarb from the garden. Yeah, uh, that was really good. And then yeah. Saturday night turned into a semi-fredo uh, woodruff cream and then Sunday was a tart. So, yeah, yeah still that's, a work in progress. But That's lovely to have um, the same menu for everyone that you can evolve over different nights. That yeah. must be quite a change from the before times when you were open to all intents and purposes as a regular restaurant she says in inverted commas because with this view and this input from the veg patch it was there was nothing regular about it but things have the formats changed the whole setup of the restaurants changed perhaps you can talk us through that and how that came about and why lockdown were you thinking of making that decision before lockdown or did lockdown change your whole approach sounds like it's changed your approach to cooking as well with all the fermenting and things yeah i mean lockdown was a definitely a long period of thinking about how it could be um we had certain constraints put on us the number of guests that we could see viably um but then we looked at the garden and that that influenced what we would were thought we could do here again and it was just to focus even more so on the garden uh, focus on the, the guest experience so we now meet them at the bottom of the garden um, we, we give them an arrival drink we give them a tour of the plot for a quarter of an hour or so and and then serve them a course in the garden where they get to sort of take in the view and, and far more about tying in the garden than we ever have done before you know obviously mm. guests have come and they've wandered around but actually to make it an event in their evening where they are given a nettle beer on arrival or whatever and just told, you know, you've got 20 minutes, have a wander around and yeah. slow down. And that's actually a really nice thing and quite an unusual thing for a restaurant. It's usually yeah. quick, get in, got to have your table back in two hours, um, and, which is just the antithesis of what we want a restaurant to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's about trying to just get people to slow down and relax, um, yeah. which people quickly do. It's mm. great to see. Mm. Yeah. And then they come inside and everyone has the same menu at the same time. Do you talk through the menu bef with them before they sit down? Oh, there's yeah, a, yeah, there's the a constant from... dialogue, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. So the, the, the chefs or whoever's created the dish or drink, um, they've all been out foraging in the past year themselves. Um, they'll, they'll be the one that's presenting what they've, they've come up with. Um, there's a story behind everything we're doing and really interesting producers and whatnot that we want to showcase and talk about yeah. uh, weird and wonderful stuff that Mark's been growing in the garden that you know it's a really informal relaxed evening but very informative as well and I think that's it's not kind of fine dining here's what we're doing and yes. sit down and listen to it but it's a conversation and people are really interested and learn a lot and ask a lot of questions and yeah yeah it's, it's good fun. Have you found the kind of people who are coming has changed because you've changed the format from 
before lockdown. I suppose we're getting a lot more people that are definitely out to celebrate a special occasion, but I mean, they seem to have been previous guests, um, people celebrating. Yeah, I mean, we're pretty lucky in that we've had a very good following for the last decade yeah. or more. So it's, it, it's, it's the same people, there's yeah. new people as well. You know, even somehow in lockdown, we picked up a lot of follow, followers over over yeah. the year we were closed. Uh, so there's definitely that was part of the way that we were refining the message and trying to understand what it was that we wanted to do at that point. So we've had a year of actually communicating what we're trying to do now, and it, the message seems to have got to people. Yeah. So mm. they've they've arrived, they've come and had the experience, and and they afterwards they tell us that the same you know the message that we've been looking to 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 get to them back to us which is amazing yeah that's um, fully fully understood yeah. and um, resonated with them in a way yeah because you've always been slightly theatrical in the way you've done things and it feels like <laughs> i mean like with your we're sailing yeah, yeah. feasts yeah, yeah. and all that kind of stuff it feels like it's always been part of where you've wanted to go and the fact that the even little things like the um car parks at the bottom and you have this beautiful entrance up that yeah. long border with the glances into the rooms of the veg patch on either side before you arrive it's always felt like there's something of that um performance nature yeah. in it yeah so did you was that what you always wanted to do in the end do you think well i mean i think in having a limited number of covers and so having six groups of six come through every half an hour allowed us an opportunity to really focus on those things that could be the theater um, we've got a beautiful fire pit behind mm. us that has been set into the hill that we can finish off the evening now and so yeah it was looking at little points where we could give everybody that experience and yeah there is theatre you know like conversation with chefs um some pretty good banter from our head chef usually <laughs> yeah i mean like amazing. you said when you first arrived you know we've always wanted to make this place feel like you're ours you're mm. not just at a restaurant you're yeah you're with us uh, you're with our team it's not like you've just gone to a restaurant we want that sort of boundary between guest and uh, staff to be almost invisible yeah just welcoming and yeah yeah, I mean, we, we will no doubt focus on some more events type things, but we'll al it'll allow us now to have the theme running throughout the year, so there will be opportunities for us to change what we do, um, you know, towards summer solstice, towards Apple Day, towards, yes. um, you know, Halloween or, you know, yeah. winter solstice. We'll make... Equinoxes. Yeah, we'll, those will be marked a little bit more, obviously, throughout the year, yeah. whereas we used to do a bit more... Well, then we'd have a wassail every year, and um, we might do solstice as an event. But hopefully, it'll it'll all come into the theatre of what mm. we do now a bit more, yeah, which is amazing. Brilliant. Mm. What I like, sorry to gush slightly, but what I like about what you've evolved into, but you always were, is that it's the food is intelligent and refined but it's not the kind of food that you feel you have to be quiet about. That, that, you know, that like, honestly... I hate that <laughs> when you go so to restaurants. You on that. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And you feel like you, the chef's going to be cross if you speak yeah. over the food yeah, yeah, somehow. Yeah, 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 yeah. This feels much more convivial, but you haven't dumbed down the food For sure. to get that vibe. Absolutely. I remember my first fine dining experience was mm. my early 20s. We went to the Fat Duck. Like my first Michelin starred experience, let alone a three yeah, Michelin yeah. starred, and food was unbelievable. As In you'd at expect. the deep end, though, it, for yeah. sure. But it was exactly that. You know, every time front of house came over, it was like, be quiet. <laughs> sorry, yeah. sorry, listening, sorry. listening. Yeah, and it just, I don't know, it was, it really jarred with me and what, what we'd want a restaurant to be. So I'm glad mm. that that's been 
picked up by Good. you. And, yeah. And do you feel like the veg patch? Let's talk a bit more about the veg patch because we're sat mm. looking at it and it's totally spectacular. Um, there will be pictures on Instagram later. Um, it's how much does it um, inform that vibe? I'm not asking the question very sensibly, but so the menus are determined by the landscape that you're in how far in advance do you know what you're going to cook or do you literally go out that day and go we've got some chard right then <laughs> i mean historically you know yeah we were, half an hour before we're still figuring it out yeah uh, if we were doing two three services in a day we would be figuring it out um printing menus you know 10 minutes before guests arrived but that, I think that's that's where we've learnt all of our, our skills in adapting to what's available in the garden and, mm. and working with the gluts and just reacting. Um, that's where the most creative end of it happens in the kitchen. So um, we do, we, we're now trying to be a little bit organised in thinking about the menu for a couple of weeks ahead. Yeah, but I mean, there's, far, there's to... much more of a conversation with Mark, the gardener here, about what's coming up and you know what will be ready in a week or two. So we've got a little bit of um, sort of prior knowledge to what we should be thinking about. Developing. And, and does that mean does that conversation go? Mark says I'm going to have a lot of frisé lettuce in a couple of weeks, and yeah. you go okay. Yeah. Or do you go, Mark? Could I have some yellow courgettes come August, please? It's yeah. a little bit of both. Predominantly, Mark saying, "Look, this is going to be ready, whatever it is, in a week or two. Um, get your thinking caps on." Um, or maybe in autumn it might be next year. Can we have X and Y? Okay. Um, but yeah. certainly, Mark, you know, we've Mark's we've been at the whims of him and him bringing us random stuff, and <laughs> uh, and the, the menu's been better for it. He's an absolute legend. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. Yeah, I'm happy to for, to be guided by him. Have you known him for a long time? Has he so always he's, been? He was here? here since day one. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. here yeah. before we were. So yeah. Yeah, and he's always he's always specialised in the, the heirloom and the odd varieties and. And also the fact that there are plants out there that are either going to seed or finding uses for them, even at that point. So we've we've always foraged the garden in on a day-to-day basis. Mm. So we've got this living larder that, and he's really good in letting us kind of just pick and choose those little elements. Mm. You know, not. Yeah, he might let, for example, might let the coriander go to seed, and normally you just throw that straight on the compost heap, but he just allows that, and then we get seed pods the flowers we have flowers yeah. initially and then the seed pods and the seed pods when they're green oh, are yeah, so are. good yeah. just stuff like really random things that most people don't have access to unless you've got an allotment or you know yeah. produce on your doorstep that just make the, the menu so much more vibrant yeah because that within 10 minutes will be on a dish in the restaurant and it, it feels alive at that point mm. yes. that's the bit that yeah i can't can't get over how you know lucky we are with what mark does here and and allowing us to have that direct Mm. connection. And it feels like it makes, that that's what makes people go, I love that moment when you're eating a dish and you go, oh my God, what did they do to that? (laughs) It's it's just, in inverted commas, a tomato salad, but then you've put these bonkers seed pods on it and now my mind is blown. And that's quite opportunistic and quite um, spontaneous by the sound of it here. Very much, yeah, it's just reactive to what's going on. I can think of maybe like for two or three nights of the year we have like a bronze dill that seeds and it's like a it's the, the seed pods are like a grape almost they're delicate and fresh but they have this Just huge level. beautiful anise kick and it might two two or three people or you know however many tables might see that once in a year and you just have to happen to have been there on that night for it to happen and i i, I love that because 
I mean, there's nothing. That's why you should come back around. every day. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right. I'm really glad you mentioned the bronze fennel pods because I grow them at home as well. And Jez, co-host, has them in his garden. Yeah. And he was uh, when I went over to his uh, last summer when they were just out. I was like, "You ha- oh, we're so lucky yeah, we're yeah. here on this day. Yeah. You have to taste these." And they'd still got the pollen on them, so yeah. they'd got that oh kind of God. sweet. Yeah. But then it's kick. Blew his yeah. mind. Yeah. He still talks about it now. I'm yeah, really I pleased. Mean, yeah. yeah, So he'll believe me now. He thinks I just made them up, but I'm glad you. No, it like, it falls with them um, when mackerel and and rhubarb are there together, and that, that seems to sit beautifully as a pairing. Um, just this idea that the stuff that's absolutely at its peak, come, when it comes together, it tastes more delicious than it really should, really ought to. And it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nothing intelligent about what we do. We're just taking ingredients and putting them together. The garden is giving it to <laughs> this you. Is it. This is it. This is literally it. Yeah. Mark and nature, which yeah. is lovely. Yeah. Um, I want to go back. This is love. I love talking about food with you guys as well. So I could do this all day, but I do want to go back to possibly slightly darker times. But I think people are really interested in lockdown, mm. and everyone. I mean, it was just like treacle for a year, wasn't it? Still yeah. is a yeah. little bit like yeah. wading through treacle. But what's so fascinating about what you guys have done is come out the back of it, kind of rejuvenated. But how did it feel at the beginning of that before you'd found the positivity in it and decided to make something of it how was that first part of lockdown for you and did you think the patch and you guys were going to make it through it must have been a strange time i mean at the time no one had a clue how long this was going to be going Mm. on for i remember staff going like oh this might you know be a couple of weeks and we'll be back like i mean i'd love to think so but I remember, yeah, telling all my staff, like, just crying on them, like, yeah. you know, this is, I don't know how long this is for, and I'm really sorry, and it, this was before furlough was announced, anything like that, like, we just not in a position, everyone sort of had to just part ways and go into lockdown. And, and in, in the terms of timing, we're just coming out of the back of winter, which is our the period where we, you know, see less footfall, and, you know, we're really into reserves at that point, so we need to be just getting going at that time of year, and it felt like... Oh my God, we were at this, yeah, this far under already, and we we're about to start, but we can't. And that was that was a shock. Yeah, me. I mean March, April is when this place <clears throat> booms. You know, yeah, uh, sort yeah. of November, November, February is usually pretty slow. Yeah, so, so to be in a sort of setback position already to then go into that was just really, really sad. Yeah. Um, what did you do with the garden? Did you keep going with the garden? Mark, Mark kept going. Yeah, I mean he's doing veg boxes and. You know, well, farmers markets weren't happening, but he still he was doing veg boxes, right? Um, for sure. So I that mean, kept we were going. trying we were trying to ferment loads of vegetables and make them into sort of an online offer type products. Um, mm. You know, but it was it was scatterbrained kind of approach, um, just you know, desperately looking for something to do with produce and find some extra income really to help because yeah. we knew that we wanted to keep every, keep all the team here and you know try and make it through that way. Mm. So yeah, it it was dark, but. It, at the same time strangely quite beautiful because there was a bit more time there was a bit more time in the garden um, the, the garden patch at home suddenly came back to life because <laughs> we've just spent more time on it um, mm. there was more time cooking you know at yeah. home with family and yeah we ate amazingly well didn't we <laughs> yeah um, yeah were you experimenting with new things thinking when we get back let's try some things out i'm not sure home. i was thinking Are about you? restaurant dishes at that point it was just how well can we eat because <laughs> yeah. it's the only yeah, thing yeah. we can do <laughs> this is exactly it yeah. yeah i think a lot of people across the country were in exactly yeah. that mindset yeah. weren't they 
everyone got their pasta makers out and uh, started learning sourdough, sourdough. Uh, quite right yeah. as well, you know. Yeah, no, it was lovely to see that. And then, yeah. so we see the effects of that now. People are a bit more knowledgeable about gardening, so mm. they definitely know, understand cooking much better. And um, yeah, it was it was really dark. The second, the second lockdown was no, sorry, the third lockdown. That was that was really really tough at that point yeah. yeah i mean it got it got horrible at the start of this year that's when it you yeah. know we kind of made it through to january and we we're like oh maybe we can open up soon and then it just dragged and that was when yeah hit the fan really yeah. properly um yeah. yeah that's when it was faced with the prospect of losing my house and yeah. all that sort of stuff so yeah it got it, that's when it got really rough uh, mm. for us for sure but you know it's also given us a huge amount of time to go, all right, what do we want this restaurant to be? What have we always wanted this restaurant to be? Um, mm. And it, you know, the same ethics and the same morals that we built this place on. Yeah. It's about sustainability, uh, fairness to staff, uh, mm-hmm. creating a, a, a sort of beacon of what a perfect restaurant looks like. Mm. Um, and that's not just in terms of the food and the offering, it is how we treat staff, it's our impacts on the environment, like how can we do this better and better and better? Yeah, um, and that, that that time to think about that was amazing. Yeah, because we started looking at you know m- way deeper into like gut health, um, soil health, carbon capture, you know all of these other things like worm farms, you know composting, and and we we take we went deep dive on those sort of subjects because we tend to because we like to geek out on that sort of thing <laughs> yeah. a lot. Um, so and then we realised that we're actually we're in a really good position here in this in this restaurant to be quite future proof it would be awful to lose it at this point and we're you know we're about to see the way that it bounces and come comes back um but we had we had to seek some really uh, really like valuable business advice we had to we had to learn an awful lot in the background but in doing so we've now got some amazing business support other experts that have sort of gratified and 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 helped us realize what we have here Mm. and given us a realization to keep keep pushing at it yeah um because you know this is this is the way that we need to look at food uh food sustainability and food you know food future also the messages from guests as well through lockdown just genuinely kind people yeah knowing how hard our industry has been hit and just getting in touch and offering help any support even just you know really sorry you guys are struggling with this can't wait to be back and eat with you like that that's really nice yeah um yeah so support from the guests it must feel amazing to be here now in we're speaking in the middle of june yeah um with the first weekend having gone we'll gloss over what boris johnson's going to say later this evening (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but feeling like you've got bookings you're Mm. pretty much booked out you were saying until november time we're nearly right on three three and a half months of bookings that came through and yeah there's still tables of four available funnily enough (laughs) just because of social distancing oh right (laughs) Yeah, yeah we can't split that four into a two of which there are most people are dining in twos so yeah, right. you still get yeah, you'd have to four, get your fans so. together and come in a four. Yeah, yeah. come in a four, yeah, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a good plan. Um, and it's it's hugely inspiring that you've you've kind of taken what was already amazing about the Ethicurean and sort of distilled it. It's like it's almost been fermented over lockdown yeah, and yeah. just got richer and richer, hasn't it? Along with all your yeah, miso and your yeah, kombucha yeah, yeah. Yeah, and everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, to become something that's really sustainable and the living wage scheme and the yeah. properly self-sufficient in the in um, 
ingredients and things now. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a very nice analogy that I like. I hope you're filling yeah. our pleased. ethos into <laughs> yeah. Yeah. fermenting yeah. our ethos into something. <laughs> yeah, fermented back in on ourselves yeah. <laughs> into something slightly better. Yeah. Well, now, before I um, I go and hide in the garden until you've gone, so that I can just stay forever and take photographs <laughs> yeah. of it. Uh, see Instagram later. Um, we always end our interviews with uh, a quick fire round of questions. I think because there's two of you, you can have an answer each, so you don't have okay, to. Right. Don't yeah, yeah. Really I don't have, have an answer. Convert. I'm just going to put it over to <laughs> yes, Matthew. <laughs> you can just defer to Matthew yeah. if you want to. That's fine. Don't think about it too much. Just answer straight away. First thing that comes into your head. Okay. So the first one: miso or kombucha? Miso. Yeah, miso, I think, yeah. Miso, hands yeah. down. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, lo I love kombucha and I drink a hell of a lot of it, but miso is endlessly fascinating, endlessly fascinating and utterly delicious. It's one of those things that we, it's like, you have to be quite brave to taste it neat because it's that much flavour in it. Um, yeah, we're we, we were eating we're, it last night, weren't we, at home? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the stuff yeah. that's been fermenting for two years gave you a teaspoon of it. Like pure uh, citric acid. Yeah, you were like, <laughs> like, I would wow. have thought that that's a teaspoon of synthetic mono MSG, monosodium glutamate, <laughs> yeah. if I didn't know what it was, and it's exactly that. So intense. Yeah. It's incredible. Very I'm digressing massively yeah. here, but very quickly, what's your, yeah, I mean, not that you can make me so quickly, but what's your, like, 30-second potted recipe for uh, English years? peas, steamed gently bashed uh, covered in koji and then it needs to live somewhere humid and warm for 48 hours or so 48 hours until you've inoculated the the peas and then you can mix that with more cooked peas a um, little salt, bit of liquid yeah. salt leave it leave it yeah, yeah. time time yeah beautiful yeah. right recipe will be in the show notes possibly <laughs> <laughs> with a lot of caveats as well um okay next one uh dogs or cats dogs 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 dogs, dogs. don't even need to justify that <laughs> <laughs> we've now, just got two new puppies yeah. we lost our last lurcher oh, we, well we lost our last lurcher just before the first lockdown oh. a month before that was yeah. utterly heartbreaking wasn't it yeah um and then we've just decided to get sisters from the same litter yeah. Uh, Deerhound, greyhound, bearded collies, they're beautiful. beautiful. And their <laughs> yeah. names? Uh, Lupo is mine and yours is Lint. Lint. Like the, the drier fluff, which is really <laughs> fluffy. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. We, I don't think there's, uh, Jez and I are both really dog people, and I don't think we've interviewed anyone who's a, who said cat to that Isn't question that yeah. yet. Yeah. Which I think says something about the kind of people we gravitate to, or the some, something about the sort of people who are into gardening and vegetables and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I'm very glad about that. Good yeah. luck Mark, with the Mark, dog. Uh, Mark, our head chef, is holding up the fort for cats. So yeah, that's true. Them, yeah. Them, well, we'll turn yeah. him eventually. <laughs> yeah, I think I reckon after he met us, he was more keen for dogs. Okay, next one. Um, if you could only grow one thing in this beautiful garden, if it was a monoculture, which I know it never would be, but what would it be? What do you love most to cook with? Cabbage, maybe. Cabbage. Interesting. I'll allow you the whole family of cabbage as well. Yeah, so exactly. that gives That's you quite it. a lot That's, of opportunities. Yeah. 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 Yeah, okay. Uh, okay, I like that one. Maybe, yeah. Was that what yours would be, Matthew? I think if I think if I've used put well, put beetroot in so many things. Yeah, in this that's a good one as well. Well Yeah. Beetroot, kvass, yeah. all, these, all these uses. Yeah. And and part of it is because we've that's all we've got for a long time. <laughs> like and then you know, in a decade we there's probably not 
There's probably very few things that they've done to a beetroot, really. Um, uh, I yeah. love beetroot. I do love yeah, I do one. as well. I mean, yeah. that's a very yeah. difficult one to answer. It is, isn't it? Well, this is why we um, ask yeah. them. Okay. Uh, Favourite season? All of them. I honestly, <laughs> I say, I think, I think this is my favourite season now. Like when we go into autumn, it's like this is my favourite season. Yeah. Winter, oh, I love winter. It's amazing. Spring, yeah. spring's here. <laughs> Summer, it's like, oh, okay. this is glorious. Fine, I can uh, see this is going to be difficult. I'm going to say autumn. Okay, very good. Uh, the bounty of produce, and I surf as well. So it's yeah, endless, Perfect. larger opportunities and good waves and. Yeah, yeah, happy days. Nice. I think then if, it, if I had to narrow it down, it would be the spring. Um, for me, it's the, the wild herbs and the forageables at that point. Very it's true. the opposite end of, of when, you know, we forage for bulky things. But for me, it's just that, that fizz of the year that's just about to yeah. start. Yeah. It, nice. comes, it comes during the hunger gap. And so, yeah, that's the bit I'm really excited for. Mm. And finally... Um, your go-to, if you use cookbooks or books about food, your go-to cookbook, stroke food book. Mine be the Flavor Thesaurus. Mm. Um, Nikki Signets. Yeah, yeah. Genius. Uh, just because that's that's how that's how I like to think about food. You know, it's not nothing static, is it? But you know, flavors, five or six flavors can live together, and if you can imagine those happening, then you can imagine a dish. And that that's that mm. book has been sort of really intrinsic in teaching me that idea. Lovely. Um, yeah, I, I think I have to resonate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hold that up as well because first few years that book was always open in the restaurant. Always yeah, it's the most dogged copy in the restaurant. Yeah, but then even like of all the cookbooks I own, I think that that's one that's been looked at the most. So. Yeah. Perfect. But like books on science as well. It's something else yeah. that we like absolutely adore. Yeah, I mean Harold ha McGee. <laughs> Harold there. McGee yeah. for sure. Heskell's been really inspirational to me over the years yeah just in terms of like refining things and doing things with an understanding that's been yeah you know mm. it's been a pleasure i can't imagine not knowing what you are going so every other kitchen they do a big list you know that they start with the menu first normally i say every other kitchen most kitchens start with the menu first um, probably based on what's available. There'll be an element of, has our supplier got this, that, or the other? Um, you know, are there any known issues with, I don't know, duck breast or whatever? Create this amazing menu, go off and source it. There might be a, a problem with getting, I don't know, chives or something. You know, suppliers will run out of chives and it's easier for them to say, oh, doesn't matter, we'll use dill instead or parsley or whatever. But not knowing you are literally depend. you're reliant on weather and success and whether or not pests got to it and also creativity i mean mm. i listened to that and i was thinking this sounds actually quite stressful but you know what? it could be incredibly creative couldn't it if you are that sort of person you say okay it's a bit like oh that was the thing i meant to say at the beginning it reminded me of that tv show ready steady was it ready steady cook where they had the big yes. bag of unknown ingredients <laughs> um it's, it's like an organic version of that yeah but it? but every day or every other day or something <laughs> yeah. and also how cool for you as a guest as well that if you know that that's what you're going in for then you want to get there earlier, right? You want to book soon because otherwise yeah. when you get there, it might be that, oh, I'm really sorry, that's run out because we only had three of those, you know, quail eggs or something like that yeah. today or something. Well, do you know, since that interview, I've been to the restaurant. Oh, come um, on. I didn't I get the know. invite. 
<laughs> well, the, the very egalitarian, it was extremely difficult to get a table before like next year. But the knack is to go as a table of four because of COVID regs, they have more tables of two than they do. Right. Um, and they can't, more people want to come in yes. pairs. Yes. So you stand more chance of getting a table of four. Yeah. I could and eat so, for four, so that's okay. Well, that's why I booked a table for four going, I'll just find someone to come or I'll just eat it myself. It's yeah. fine. Um, sat alone. With four of it would have happened. Um, but it is a very immersive experience. And you arrive at the bottom of the garden and you're given a drink and said, you've got sort of half an hour to make your way up to the garden. So Amazing. you meet your ingredients oh. first. And you wander around and it's a beautiful sunny day and the sun's setting. And then you arrive at the top and there's a chap ready to take that glass off you and give you a cup of their home-brewed miso that we were talking about, which is another awesome lockdown project. And talk to you a bit more about the garden. And only then, so you've been there for maybe half an hour, 40 minutes before you go into the restaurant. It's just a lovely, lovely feeling. What, um, What does Epicurean mean? Well, it's Epicurean. So Epicurean is is Greek, I think, for uh, food lover. Uh, But this is their book, um, which I'm holding up now, called The Epicurean. So it's an ethical Epicurean, Uh. I guess. Um, This was published 2013, I think. And it's a complete star. My favourite recipes that I return to again and again... Ah, if I can find them. Are they, are they quite practical recipes, Cathy? Because sometimes the slightly more creative or fancy restaurants and chefs will bring out a cookbook and they're gorgeous to pour over, but you think, well, where the hell yeah. am I going to find, like, root of vetiver or something? You know? Yeah, there is a little bit of that. So there's the how to make your own vermouth. I'm like, yeah, I'd love that to happen, but it's never going <laughs> to. But... I've got to get to the post no, office. I <laughs> but then there's some practical ones. Like, so one of my favourite is this venison cider and quince stew with herb butter uh, dumplings. Good lord, that I mean, sounds hearty. It's really good wintry one. And then another wintry, one. Yeah. You can see I like this one because I've scrawled all over <laughs> it. This is almond pear cardamom and chocolate cake, which is one of their signature. Oh my um, gosh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> recipes it's completely fabulous and it's really easy to make i love you as i do i do know your baking qualities and they're minimal and <laughs> you could make this cake oh, oh that's how it's dear it. listener <laughs> it is very easy to make <laughs> uh, it's a lovely book uh hopefully there's another one on the way soon uh it's it's just lovely to pour over as well as to cook from as as is the restaurant can i just say that i think i've got really good at baking actually good uh, I, I've I've made rock cakes. And were they meant to be rock cakes, or were you going for scones? <laughs> I was going for a fruit cake, but it turned out um, they, were, they were supposed to be rock cakes. But um, and I even substituted fifty percent of the sugar with honey. Oh, how did that go? Absolutely flipping beautiful. Everybody loves my rock cakes. All my buns bring the boys to the yard. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, really, really good, really nice. But I mean, in terms of your, you know, five flavor chocolate cake, I'm a little way off that. Yeah, my flavor, my five flavors come from a bag of dry fruit. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
all to the good. Uh, <laughs> anyway. But I thought that was a lovely, a lovely one to end the series on because yeah. for me it kind of encapsulates everything that we've been talking about these last eight episodes about the joys of growing and you know how the, creative nature is and how delicious it can be, but also what pleasure it can bring. And those two bring all of those qualities out, right? I was so... I, I, was, I didn't know them and I maybe was a little worried that they'd come across as classically arrogant as some of the sort of slightly more creative, unusual, fancy-pantsy uh, chefs and restaurant designs <laughs> sometimes come out a bit. You know, I think they know that they're really good at what they do or they know that it's different. And, and it feels like it's driven sometimes by a need to be different, to stand out, rather than a, a sincerity. Yeah. But they were... I mean, just so down to earth and really, really not that sort of bothered about the interview, really, were they? Not in a nonchalant kind of arrogant way. It was more about actually their passion is not about shouting and marketing about what they do. Their passion is about you can you can imagine them being just so focused about being in yeah. that garden and harvesting and creatively thinking about what to eat so yeah yeah and distracted only by the arrival of their two new puppies (laughs) (laughs) so we end the series with a full house of dog lovers (laughs) (laughs) yes we do we haven't interviewed a single cat person thank goodness now (laughs) (laughs) now uh What's been up with Hadley? Is he snoring and snoozing underneath your desk? As ever. Of course. Yeah, as um, ever. How about Marley Pops? I don't know where Marley... I suspect he's out with uh, the other one because I don't really get a look in anymore. Although he's mm. he's sort of come round to me in the last week or two. He's, I think he may be getting bored with the other one now. He's like, oh, okay, no, you're both lovely. Um, the novelty's <laughs> worn off a little. Um, you know... <clears throat> I look at him licking his paw in pain, you know, which is sort of the equivalent of somebody rubbing a, you know, an achy joint yeah. or something. And I look at him desperately trying to still, he comes to me with the ball, like, look, look, I've got a ball. And I think, mate, I can't, I can't throw that for you. You can't, those days are gone. I can't throw the ball and because he'll be in terrible pain then for the rest of the day with his joints. And so we, I sort of roll it for him or, or throw it so he can catch it in his mouth. So there's a bit of interaction. But yeah, I look at all of those things, Kathy, and I think... I really hope you feel loved. I, I think it's the one thing for all of our the animals that we interact with, whatever they are, is I think there is a, a shift in the bond that you have with an animal when everything you do comes from a place of wanting to exhibit your love or your affection or your gratitude for that animal being in your life and I really hope there's a way he does little things that are cute like he'll he'll come up to me and he'll nudge me gently with his with his with his nose just just on like my leg or something and he'll sort of look up at me not not in an annoying way you know it doesn't it's not like he's begging for fear he'll just do that and I'll say yeah you're all right and he'll settle down like for a bit of reassurance um or sometimes, you know, when they yes. come up and they just gently, just just gently lick your hand because your hand's there. They just do, oh. have a lick. Yeah, yeah. Um, or yeah. as Hadley's just done, is kind of snore half awake and plunk his head out of the bed under the uh, <laughs> under the desk and put it on, put his head on my foot. Oh yes, I love that. Oh. The, the the contact thing where they just need to be close to you, and I think well maybe yeah. those are signs that they know that they're loved. 
Yeah, I think they do. An interaction generally, uh, there's nothing Hadley loves more than us doing what he wants us to uh-huh, do. Uh-huh. Like, I'm standing by the door. They open the door for me. Amazing. Yes. I'll go out. And ah. can I come back in? They've opened the door again for me. I love it when this works. Or, I think they just love you doing what they want to do together. Yes. Sounds like Hadley's trained you. Completely. I, I think Completely. I, I like that there is also, <clears throat> with the animals that we love, there is a sometimes a, a huge learning curve that we go through. So with Zeus... He was so cuddly. You would stroke him once. He was archetypal Labrador. You'd you'd stroke him once and, you know, not carrying on. And he would be there like shoveling his head and his hand under your, you know, arm to go, no, I think you'll find you've stopped. You need to continue stroking me. Uh, I would sometimes say to people, don't stroke the dog unless you're going to continue to stroke the dog. Because like, if you just start, he'll want you to just carry on the entire time you're here. Um, and, and I would, and he would cuddle into me. And his oh. head on his lap and on my lap. And he would like being laid on. So I would go and lay with him and put my weight mm-hmm. a bit on him. He would love that. Marley, completely the opposite. If you sit on the same sofa that he's on, he will get off and go on a different sofa. But uh, <laughs> very cat-like. Doesn't like, yeah. <laughs> doesn't like being cuddled. Doesn't like being restrained in any way. Um, so, you know, like you can't give him a kind of, you know, a bear hug. Um, doesn't actually all that much like being sort of fussed and stroked and stuff on on his terms. But he absolutely needs to know you're there. It's about presence. You know, sometimes just laying your hand gently on him and and he'll open his eyes, look at you, and then he'll just kind of lay, you know, his head back down again or... um, Oh, you're making me feel all warm and fuzzy. And you learn a lot, don't you, about sometimes Mm. the little things in life that actually have the biggest impact and i think that's probably the same that's one thing i've learned throughout all of this series talking to you amen to that i couldn't agree more um so we're almost there at the end before we get to our little before we go wrap up wrap up have you got any highlights or standout moments from series three kathy oh that is a good one uh can we edit that pause out most of this is going to be edited. I won't worry about it. <laughs> but while you're thinking, I will say it's been... You tell me yours and then I'll... It's been a joy working with you. It's, and it honestly feels like it's our podcast now. And I really, I love that. Um, I completely agree. It's been such a hoot. I've especially loved hearing what a dreadful gardener you are because that reassures me because I too am fairly haphazard in my gardening. An honest gardener is is what I am rather than dreadful. Uh, but uh, <laughs> let's go with honest. Um, I think standout moments for me have been uh, learning some of the amazing ways you can cook the most normal veg. Like grilling a lettuce, I still, honestly, I tell everybody that. I tell literally everybody, you can char grill a lettuce. Who bloody knew? The woman is like from a different planet. Um, I have loved the book <laughs> recommendations. I've bought more books in the last eight weeks than I've bought probably in the last three months. Uh, that doesn't make sense because that's only four more weeks. and It doesn't matter, but a long time. Um, uh, and I think, do you know what? A couple of standout interviews. I've loved all of our special guest celebrity interviews. Yeah. But I've got a couple of standout ones, I have to say. Um, I loved interviewing Simon Lysett. He had such a great story. And um, just uh, the way that he 
spoke about arranging flowers has utterly mm. changed the way I look at my garden and utterly changed the way I display flowers in life. Like mint in a vase. Who'd have thought? It's flipping amazing. It was, it was really inspiring, wasn't it? And it was inspiring because it was accessible, I yes. thought. But then I thought the same about Jekka McVicar as well. Right, that was going to be my second standout one as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Um, and again, I just bought her, her book, actually. Um, and that's got some phenomenal stuff in it. Um, yeah, I think that, but it's so difficult because actually we've we've interviewed so many really, really interesting people. It's kind of difficult to for them to sort of, you know, stand out or, or, or to pick one or yeah. two. Um, I couldn't I couldn't pick a favourite, but I think that's because we've learnt, but, well, partly because they're all dog people, but <laughs> also because we've just learnt so many things about growing, about small spaces, about yes. flowers, about chickens, about cooking, about... Passion, about passion. Yes. Um, and also about... About honesty. I loved the sort of rawness of people. Like, for example, when Laura was saying, you know, she has no clue about really, I'm not a gardener, I just like yellow ones or white ones. Or, But the space is important for her. And I think yeah. that's really important for people to take away, that it doesn't matter if, you know, you're not supposed to have hollyhocks next to, I don't know, verbena. I don't know, I'm making this up. If you <laughs> want it there, it's okay. You know, if it's if it's okay with you then it's okay. It's your space, right? Um, And that it needn't be complicated. And that, yes, it can be. You can go biodynamic if you want to, but you don't necessarily, you don't have to. And that whatever way you garden or grow or cook or arrange your flowers or whatever, it's the joy that you get from it that's the main point. And also, I think the other highlight from this series has been Instagram. And listening and seeing yes. our uh, listeners share stuff, chat to us. I've loved all of that. I've just loved, loved, loved this series. And I cannot flip in wait to see if there's going to be a series for. Um, it hasn't been decided. It is a lot of work. Um, so mm-hmm. I think we need to... Uh, we need to be led by that. If you are listening or watching and you would like a series for, then let us know. Um, let us know. Let us you know. You will find us. Let us know. It's true. Uh, you can tell us on Instagram. We're on at Roots Wings Podcast. And also, obviously, all podcast providers. The thing with those is to subscribe yeah. and then leave us a review or a star rating because that's how we know whether you're enjoying it. A five star rating, yeah. Um, <laughs> and before we go, I just want to say that I accidentally put a pot in a border. I was carrying this pot around and it was really heavy and I was a little bit sort of stressed out. So I just put it down. I thought, oh, for crying out loud, this is really flipping heavy and I don't, it's not going where I want it to go. Accidentally put it in a border. Well, intentionally put it in the border, but not to stay. Stood back and thought, oh, hello. That looks quite nice there. Shiveled it around into there where there's a little gap. So I've got this pot next to some beautiful napita, this huge great napita bush, and it looks really lovely. Now, I know pots in borders isn't a new thing, possibly a bit controversial, but... I thought, harking back to some of the things we've spoken about on this series, wouldn't it be interesting if you at home were to experiment with pots and borders? So if you had a vegetable patch or a little veg area with just your veg in, you could put some flowers in pots, big or small, doesn't matter, and put those in between your veg so that they're not within the veg soil, but you've got some colour and some nice things. And I know you've spoken before, Cathy, about 
um, certain flowers that go well with certain veg to ward off pests mm. and whatever. Uh, don't do what I did and plant, plant the wrong ones that attract the pests. But this is true. <laughs> this uh, is a very contro- controversial point to end on. It's like you found the, the cliffhanger. The cliffhanger. The horticultural bombshell, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we end the series on is Jez puts pots in his borders. Yeah. I fundamentally disagree with it, but Do I feel you? like we might need to talk about that another time. <laughs> well, here's another thing to try and get you away um, and have a think about it till I speak to you next time, if I ever speak to you again. And that is <laughs> that maybe in your beautiful flower borders, you could plant veg in a pot. So you could do your, a bigger pot for potatoes or something and put those in the borders so that you've got things to pick. You've got flowers to pick and also veg to pick. So now all of a sudden in a small space or a smaller space or just because architecturally it's going to change it up a little bit, that border, and you use the pots as not just functional but as, as architecture. One of the pots out here, I've got a, a, an old Victorian chimney within the cottage border and it looks stunning, I think. So if that had some stuff planted well, in it, then, you know. It's useful to Now me. you're talking. If it means I can grow more veg, I feel like you might be winning me around already. They're converted. I'm not saying I deserve a sainthood. <laughs> I'm just saying I've got some ideas. <laughs> For the very last time for Series 3, Cathy, say goodbye. Oh, Jez, it's been an absolute pleasure. Lots of love to you and Marley, and we'll see you soon. Bye. See you, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>